Hello, you're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Acts chapter 9. Um, we're going to read together from the verse number 23. And again, you might know the context here, Acts 9, of course, that gives the details of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And then verse 23, we read this, And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their lying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. Which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. And then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, were multiplied. We're living in times when, uh, again, in our interaction, there are so many in broad evangelicalism who see the fear of God as being inconsistent with the grace of God, who have a category for God's grace and God's loving kindness that doesn't seem to give any place for Christians living in the fear of God. They perceive it as being inconsistent with assurance, with joy and comfort. They see fear as being a negative thing. And again, let's be honest, the word fear is sometimes used uh, with a more negative connotation in our own experience. And so we've got to define it properly. Uh, but even in good definition, there are those who swerve away from any treatment of the subject of the fear of the Lord. Some seeing it as being an Old Testament thing and not really proper in the New Testament era. But of course, in this foundational text in chapter 9 of Acts, you'll see in the verse number 31 the description of the churches following again the time of Saul's uh, persecution and subsequent conversion. You then see the description of the churches they had rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. There's a period of time like a number of years after Saul's conversion. But there is this time where there is uh, some rest. God in his mercy has spared in the churches from external persecution. And as that happens, the churches are edified, and then they're described as walking in the fear of the Lord. It's significant that the inspired apostle would use that language to really denote their Christian living. That use that term, not walking in the love of Christ, or that's true, but walking in the fear of the Lord. Showing us that the fear of the Lord was what was governing their lives. And alongside that, they were also in the comfort of the Holy Ghost and were multiplied. 
And so we see immediately that in the New Testament era, the fear of God, as for the old, is the governing feature that, if you like, controls and modulates people's walking in this world. How do you live? In the fear of God. Now, we will come to look and expound and define the terms that are used. We'll seek to examine the implications of the fear of the Lord. We'll seek to do all of that in the attitude of prayer. But to help us now, if I can just summarize the fear of God in a couple of sentences, to walk in the fear of God is to walk in the sight of God. It's the first kind of primary concept. It is a recognition that we walk under the eye of the all-seeing God. We're walking in the sight of God and at the same time desiring the smile of God. That's what it is to walk in the fear of God, to know that God sees and to seek to live in a way that provokes a pleasure in God in obedience to his law. And so with that kind of definition, at least in mind, and we'll build upon that and hope we'll, we'll prove it in future studies, I want to note tonight just three, three things. And the first one is, is longer, the last two very, very brief. The first thing is this, and that is that the fear of God is essential Christianity. Now, I didn't say it's essential for Christianity. I'm not talking about it's necessity. Oh, that's true. You cannot live as a Christian without living in the fear of God. If you don't do that, your Christian living is going to be not according to scriptural norms. But I'm not talking about necessity here. I'm not suggesting that it's necessary to walk in the fear of God alone is. I'm describing rather the fact that the fear of God is of the very essence of being a Christian. It's the core of being a Christian. It's, it's the very core. In other words, if there is no fear of God, then there is no true Christianity. It's not an optional extra. It's not a higher level. It's at the very core of what it is to be a Christian in these days. I want to prove that tonight by, uh, by surveying the various phases that we see in the Bible of true religion. And there are, there are so many different ways. I thought, well, how do I organize this? I don't want to just go through uh, reference by reference. I want to try to organize this in some way and show you that consistently throughout the Bible, the fear of the Lord is a feature and a dominant core feature of true religion in every phase. The patriarchs. The formation of Israel, the time of the kings, the new covenant, even in the fullness of glory, we will see that the fear of God is fundamental and in the very essence of true religion. And I said there's over 150 references to the fear of God in Old and New Testament, plus other allusions to it. It's a huge body of biblical material. And so let's, let's be very, very selective. First of all, when it comes to the patriarchs, now, when I'm talking about patriarchs, of course, I'm referring to the time uh, sort of in and around Abraham's era and before. Now, whenever Abraham is in, in his pilgrimage, he goes to Abimelech's place. He gives the warning in terms of Sarah and deception. He says, surely the fear of God is not in this place. And so in Abraham's mindset, there was, again, the recognition that the fear of God was, was core in terms of life. If, if people's lives were outside the will of God, it's because there's no fear of God. 
Implication being, when there is the fear of God, then there's a life that's patterned according to the word of the Lord. But please turn to Job chapter 1. I just want to use one example, if you like, of a man living in the patriarchal times. Again, you'll appreciate Job is an early figure in, in, in Bible history, likely uh, living in that patriarchal time even before that. And you have Job 1 verse 1. There was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And so immediately in a, in a very summarized form of description of, of Job's life, he's seeking to walk in the ways of God. He avoids evil. He's upright. And what is the feature that dominates? It's the fact he fears God. Now, the fear of God here is not describing his action. That's his uprightness. That's him eschewing evil. The fear of God is describing his internal attitude. He's living governed by, a, if you like, a controlling principle in his soul. And that controlling principle is the fear of God. And the same develops as you look through the formation of the nation. So, patriarchal time, number one. Secondly, the formation of Israel. Look to Deuteronomy chapter 4, up in verse number 10. Where he says, The people in Horeb gather me, the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days they shall live upon the earth, and that they may teach their children. And then he goes on to say about the mountain, that's the, the reference. So they were brought near to Mount Sinai, all, all the visible symbols of God's presence there. But here we're told, what is the purpose whereby God gave his words? That they would learn to fear him that he would hear his words. Again, not, not even just the visible symbols, although that, of course, caused the people to tremble. But there was the giving of the word, God's authority, God's overarching sovereignty over the nation, his words governing them with the purpose that they would walk in his fear. And so again, you see that as God is bringing a nation together, what is his objective? that the people would live and walk in the fear of the Lord. And so the law of God was given for that purpose. Is the law of God any less relevant today? Do we live in a day that the law of God does not come to us with freshness? It does. It comes with freshness. We, we see the authority of God over our lives. And the purpose of the law is that we might fear God. It's a description, isn't it, of what God expects of us. What about the time of the kings? Well, I'll turn to Psalm 2. In the second Psalm, now, again, when you think of the time of the kings, uh, of course, your mind would probably go to the book of Proverbs. And I'm not going there tonight because we'll spend some time in that book in future studies. You think of a, a text like Proverbs 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And there you see immediately that the fear of God is not added on later on. It's at the, the very start and the center of wisdom and knowledge and walking with the Lord. But in Psalm 2, you'll see there again in the time of the kings, there's instruction given. Be wise, verse 10, be wise now therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Uh, turn your attention to this. Again, there were, there were several psalms that we could turn your attention to. 
But there are some things to point out. One is that this command in verse number 11 is evangelical in its thrust. It's, it's a desire that those who may not know the Lord would turn to the Lord. Verse number 12, kiss the son lest to be angry and ye perish from the way. And so it's got an evangelistic thrust to it. It is telling people, fear God. It's this idea that if you want to know what a godly life is, it's about serving the Lord with fear. And yet it's not inconsistent with joy and rejoice with trembling. So it's evangelistic in its command, but it's also experiential. This fear of God is part of experiencing genuine Christianity. It's not a case of if you fear, you have no joy, and if you joy, you have no fear. It's rather the fear of God that, if you like, actually promotes true rejoicing with trembling. And without the fear of God, there can be no true joy, certainly no true reverent joy. You also see the time of the kings in Ecclesiastes. Of course, the writings of Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 is... Solomon sums up what it is to walk with God in those days. And you, you know the, the book, he's tried various things uh, to find a meaning and significance in life. He sums it up in chapter 12, verse number 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, he's not suggesting there that you fear God in order to earn God's favor. But he is describing this is what true religion looks like. It's not God plus idols. It's not God plus pursuing satisfaction and other things. Rather, the sum total of man's satisfaction is living and walking in the fear of God. Remembering God's work of judgment, verse 14. Understanding that God judges us, that we're accountable to God but also that we have the joy and delight of finding satisfaction and meaning by walking in the fear of God. Now, again, I'm trying to avoid going down too many lines of application, but the absence of the fear of God in society is why so many people are trying to find meaning elsewhere. They haven't found meaning in the most important thing, in the main thing, in the real thing, and so they're trying to find meaning elsewhere. But those who walk in the fear of God, they understand that God is and that he is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So that's the error of the kings. Then what about the new covenant? Again, I've said to you already, this matter of the fear of God is not just for the Old Testament era. It is very much new covenant also. And I'm going to show you that in three ways. First of all, in prophecy. And that's Jeremiah chapter 32. Again, we have, of course, this whole section in Jeremiah's dealing with the New Covenant. And the promises of the New Covenant, Jeremiah 32, and the verse number 38, And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. There's the refrain of God's covenant dealings with his people. And I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever, for the good of them and of their children after them, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. 
Again, we need to come back to this and look at it in more detail, um, but for now, simply see that in God's everlasting covenant, sealed by Christ's precious blood, there is the assurance that when God brings people into the covenant, He gives them a new heart, and that heart is a heart that fears God. And so the outworkings of regeneration is what? It is a fear of God. That's why I say this is, a, this is very core to true religion and true Christianity. Because it is a feature and a product of the rebirth. So those who are born again, they, they see and they enter the kingdom. They, they submit themselves to a king and they live under the king's rule. And they do not depart from the Lord. Verse number 40. Again, so much in that, in that text. But in prophecy of the new covenant, uh, you see a prediction that those who are brought into that covenant will indeed walk in the fear of God. And that gives some substance to the practice then. So we have the prophecy in Jeremiah 32. We have the practice and that's our text in Acts chapter 9. Again, when they describe the church, the church is described as walking in the fear of the Lord. So prophecy, practice, and thirdly in precept. Second uh, Corinthians 7 verse 1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And again, this attitude of the fear of God being that which is going to govern the, the life of the church. How are they going to put away filthiness? How are they going to perfect holiness? Because they've got the fear of God in their hearts. It's the fear of God's going to govern those things. Ephesians chapter 5, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. 1 Peter 1 verse 16 and 17, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who with respect of persons, judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. This is not looked upon as a bad sign of the Christian. You know, if, you're, if you're living in the fear of God, you mustn't have a healthy Christian life. This actually is what healthy Christianity is. You're not neurotic. You're not vulnerable. You don't lack assurance. Actually, you know the mark of the rebirth in your soul as you realize God sees and God knows. You walk in the fear of God. And so 1 Peter 2, verse 17, the last one, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God. Honor the king. That's 1 Peter 2, verse 17. So that's the new covenant age. Well, then what about the fullness of glory? Turn to Revelation chapter 15, because this is remarkable. Again, those who see the fear of God as only being present because of our sin fail to understand the fullness of the concept of the fear of God. We, we fear God not only because we know that we are sinful, but we fear God because God is God and we are men. And so it's actually fundamental to our human existence to fear God in such a way that the fear of God does not end when we enter glory. Revelation 15, verse number 2. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark. Here's... Here's a picture of the final day. These are people who've got the victory over the beast. And they stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thy King of saints, 
who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Do you see it here? In this redeemed company around the throne, they acknowledge the fact that there is no one who ought not to fear God. And the absence of the fear of God is a mark of those who are not regenerate and those who do not know the Lord. Romans 3, verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. So the absence of the fear of God is a sign of someone who's not regenerate, still in their sins. And thus those who are born again, they are those who have been brought into this attitude of having the proper fear of God. One writer puts it this way, the fear of God is so fundamental to godliness that even into eternity, after the last remains of sin are purged from believers, we will still fear God. So I think you see and understand, I trust, that the fear of God is essential Christianity. And it is very much part of the core and the fabric of what it is to be a child of God. Again, one author puts it this way, it is neither unkind nor unjust to assert that if you do not know what the fear of God is in your heart and life, you do not know experientially the first thing about true biblical and same religion. So that's the fact that the fear of God is essential Christianity. But the second thing in our text, heading back to Acts chapter uh, 9, again, this is an introductory uh, message tonight that hopefully lay, will lay the ground uh, for future studies. The second thing is this, that the fear of God is a mark of edifying Christianity. That's what the text says. They were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord. Churches that are being built up now, when that term is used, it may well mean that there was numerical increase. That's possible. It may also mean, I think it does also mean, that the individual believers in those churches were also themselves being built up in their most holy faith. It's a church that is thriving. It's a, it's a period of time in the history of the New Testament church where there's, there is growth and stability, and God's been pleased to bless with peace and with this progress in the things of God. And a mark of that is that they walk in the fear of the Lord. Again, we're seeing the fear of God as being a mark of healthy, vibrant Christianity. Now, I don't think we have a causative relationship here. I don't think that's a case of, well, you're being edified, therefore there's increasing fear. I think these things are coincidental. They're coming at the same time, that there is edification and there's the fear of God. And of course, one leads to the other in both directions. As we are edified, our fear of God increases in a proper sense. And as the fear of God increases, so we're edified. It's got that, that if you like, mutual relationship between the two concepts. But all my point right now is, as we think about church life and think about the, the necessity of the fear of God, is that we should not see the fear of God as being inconsistent with knowing the grace of God or thriving in our acknowledgement of God. It's just not uh, removed from the idea of having confidence in God. Rather, when the inspired apostle describes uh, the churches, they're edified, walking in the fear of the Lord. Essential Christianity. Edifying Christianity. And thirdly, it is an aspect of enjoyable Christianity. Look what it says in our text again. And in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. 
were multiplied. The comfort of the Holy Ghost. And sometimes this idea that if you fear God, then you, you can't be enjoying your Christian experience. And that's, that's clearly not the case here. These are things that come together. You've got the fear of God and the comfort of the Holy Ghost together. Now, there's a very remarkable example of this in the Scriptures. And with this, we'll close. It's over in Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11 and verses 1 and 2. And here again is an example of the Spirit of God and the delight in the Spirit of God coinciding with the fear of God. It's Isaiah 11 and the first two verses. Of course, it is uh, one of those wonderful messianic prophecies in the book of Isaiah. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Now you see it again. Christ in his humanity by the Spirit walks in the fear of the Lord. He always does those things which please the Lord. Now, the Lord had no potential to sin. He could not sin. And yet in his humanity, as he walked in this world, he walked in obedience to the command of God. And the Bible describes it here as him living in the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is produced by the Spirit of God. And so when we find ourselves walking in the fear of the Lord, that is a mark of the Spirit of God in our lives. And therefore it is accompanied with other aspects of the Spirit's work. The Spirit works in us. Fear and also love and joy and self-control. All those things that are the, the fruit of the Spirit's. Well, here we find fear as being part of what the Spirit works in our lives. Oh, when you think of this so dominant theme, you think of how, how controlling it is throughout the Scriptures, how we must pray for those who are lost. No fear of God before their eyes. We see it before us all the time. It should remind us the absence of the fear of God is a mark of those who do not know the Lord. And therefore, they are those, if they will not kiss the Son, they will perish from the way. Understanding this, it drives us to pray for the lost. It drives us to pray for ourselves. Give me more of the Spirit of God that I would know more of this fear that I might, my life would be governed not by the opinion of men, but by the fear of God. That's the distinction here. The fear of man brings a snare. But the fear of God governs our lives in such a way that we know joy and perfect liberty. Now, the saints of God will not live carelessly, will not worship irreverently, but rather understand the fear of God. It would so dominate their lives that they would live in a manner that please God and bring glory and honor to his name. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. 
A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.